Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi guys, so today I want to talk about 10 ways to support your adrenal health and help to reduce stress naturally. And I think this is the key time that we all need to be doing this a little bit more, especially um, when this is being released and when I'm recording this, it's during the whole coronavirus um, pandemic. So more now than ever, um, we really need to focus on this and who knows it's how long it's going to last for, but I think we can take these episodes um, and this information that we learn on onto our lives with us and use it in the rest of our day and that's what i'm trying to do with the podcast not just give you just more information about coronavirus because i feel like it's very overwhelming right now the amount of information so i want to keep these episodes pretty um similar to the content that i'm usually creating but putting a little spin on them and making them a bit more relevant in terms of what i'm putting out and if anyone's watching the video side of this my face is a little bit red right now because i've just been sunbathing in my garden in the lovely weather and trust it in the UK to be gloriously sunny when we're stuck inside. So I'm very grateful that we have a back garden that I can um, go out and get some sun and this is important for like prepping our skin for when the summer months do come rather than just being cooped up in indoors all spring and then in summer going on a two-week holiday to Barbados and burning our skin like a crisp. So just these gradual little exposures every day can start to um, prepare your skin so that you're, you can tolerate and get a better tan and things and not have to deal with burning and premature aging and all of those negative associations we hear with sun exposure. And I talk more about this with Andy Mant on our podcast episode from a few weeks ago on adrenal, um, on circadian rhythm, sorry. Great episode, still refer back to that one all the time. But something interesting that I learned the other day was getting light on the back of the knees actually really helps with vitamin D absorption for some reason. I don't know if it's because the skin is a little bit thinner there, but good tip. So while you're lied on your back, kind of tanning your front or getting some exposure on the front, don't forget to nickel and don't neglect your back and the backs of your knees, apparently. And there's an app as well, I think everyone should download. It's called D-Minder and it's free and it will tell you. In your location um, how much vitamin d your body is um, producing and the light spectrum and um, how strong the sun rays are so i love that app everyone should download it and um, keep it'll give you like a timer to see how long you've been out in the sun and what is the safe range and if you do supplement with vitamin d you can maybe drop down your dosage a little bit if you're getting natural exposure and i've also just been eating soup <laughs> in like the hottest day don't ask i'm trying to use everything that i've got in the cupboard right now but i've actually just done a post on this today as well on my instagram and um, you can find me at fever natural health and just talking about my 
anxiety around food well I would have had major anxiety at, at the situation right now with food because some of the healthy stuff that I get in the grocery stores and like farmers markets supermarkets all of that isn't available um, I can't travel to the farm that I shop at my usual online delivery service Ocado isn't running that I get my fruit and veg from so I'm just trying to um, do the best that I can but a couple of years ago this would have really been anxiety provoking for me not having access to my regular meals not knowing how long this is going to go on for not always having organic food available I know it really is a first world problem at the end of the day and previously I wasn't doing that to lose weight or anything it was really to support my health and I do admit at times it was verging on orthorexia but it's because I had multiple food sensitivities and I did get some severe reactions after eating so I just wanted to be careful and control that as much as possible but now like even made a note of it that um, at the weekend I skipped dinner a couple of times because I wasn't hungry and I thought I might as well just not use the food in my cupboard some people won't be able to do that because they have um, more complex health issues and really bad adrenal issues and they can't go without food but if you feel strong enough you're not hungry uh, there's going to be times that um, you can go without food and you're not going to die and you're not going to wreck your health like people think intermittent fasting is completely terrible for women I don't agree with that but evolutionarily there would have been times of feast and famine and we're just constantly exposed to food so listen to your hung hunger signals maybe don't make it a regular thing because you can sometimes get an appetite su suppression with fasting because of the adrenal adrenaline piece as well so it's about listening to your body and knowing your body um, only you know your body better than anyone else and I just had a, a can or a tin of soup just then non-organic um, and yeah just little things like that I'm not eating vegetables someday because there's not a lot of fresh produce available I've not been shopping for a couple of days I'm trying to do it like once a week or once every 10 days just to stock up but that's just my um, my opinion my approach and we're going to get back into the normal swing of things at some point so it's not going to be the end of the world if you fall off track a little bit just do the best that you can and what you have available to you right now so on to today's subject of adrenal health i think people are aware of the term adrenal fatigue but it is a bit of a um it's not a real technical term and this has been used in like naturopathic medicine and even i was taught this in college a few years back but the evidence now has emerged that it's not a real thing and it's just basically the adrenal glands slowing down and not producing as much cortisol as they should be not because they're worn out and quote fatigued just because it's because your brain is basically telling them to slow down stop producing as much cortisol to make you tired so it's actually a brain thing rather than an adrenal thing but the symptoms are absolutely real and I believe that you feel tired and feel exhausted, but it's not because your adrenals are worn out. I like to think of the phases of stress in four stages. And this goes along with the Dutch testing that I do with my clients sometimes. And I'll talk about that as we go on. But stage one, I see this as being high cortisol. So just high cortisol on its own. And for some people, this happens... Um, every day for some people it happens a couple of times a week or quite um, infrequently and you can imagine this like when you step out in front of a car and you almost get hit that rush of adrenaline that rush of stress that's normal that's natural and we want that to happen 
and I see this as being the alarm stage. So something quick happens and then you go back to normal cortisol. But if your day starts off with high stress, so your alarm wakes you up, you're late for work, you run out the door, you get hit with traffic, you get into the office, your boss is yelling at you, like cortisol is just going to be on constantly. And cortisol is good to a point. It's when it becomes chronic and uncontrolled, unmanaged, unrelenting, that it starts to become a problem. And this stage, stage, some people actually feel quite good. You can obviously get the anxiety, palpitations, and the feeling of stress in this stage. But some people, because they've been living on this stress and adrenaline for a long time, they actually feel really good. So they maybe skip breakfast and just have a coffee, do a HIIT workout. They love working in an intense environment with a lot of demands and pressure, and they thrive on running that adrenaline. They're a bit of an adrenaline junkie. So some people don't feel symptomatic. They feel quite good and energized during this point, but after a while, it does start to um, affect your health. So after a while, when this cortisol is being produced, it starts to become damaging to the tissues and the cells. And to try and counteract that, your body will produce um, DHEA. So um, this is another hormone that's produced from the adrenals. And its job is to counteract or buffer the negative effects of cortisol. And DHEA is also a longevity hormone. And it's also a precursor to other hormones, or like the mother hormone to estrogen and androgens like testosterone. So you can imagine high DHEA levels because of stress can then lead to high levels of estrogen and or testosterone. So at this phase, both cortisol and DHEA are high. You may also be symptomatic during this time or feel pretty good, or you may start to deal with hormone imbalances. So symptoms of excess estrogen, like heavy periods, um, painful periods, just irregularities, testosterone being elevated can lead to acne, hair loss, irritability. And as a byproduct of those things, you can have lowered progesterone, which can come along with fertility challenges or just, again, cycle or menstrual problems. But you may also be wired and tired. You may have heard that term before. This can happen during stage two. I see this commonly. You, you feel tired, but you just can't get to sleep. Your cortisol patterns may be starting to be affected. So in the day, um, you're feeling pretty good. But then in, in the night when cortisol should lower, your cortisol's still through the roof and you can't fall asleep despite how tired and exhausted you are. Stage three, I would then see cortisol start to lower. So you've got a lower amount of cortisol and higher DHEA. So the body is slowing down a little bit. Um, your brain's saying, right, we've been doing this for a long time now. This could be over a period of months, depending on the level of stress, or it could be over decades. It, everyone's a little bit different and it depends on your constitution as well. But you have high DHEA still. And this is definitely a sign that the body's becoming a little bit exhausted and your body's trying to hang in there. It's trying to keep everything working it's like trying to whip a tired horse and um this could be the time as well that thyroid issues start to develop immune issues because we need cortisol to regulate those things um and then stage four when finally dha has um, been turned down your body's like no i can't do it anymore i'm completely worn out i'm going to make you so tired that you can't do this anymore it then shuts down dha so you have low levels of cortisol and DHEA and I would 
term this like a burnout phase you can bounce back from it which is the good thing it may take a while but this is when the body's crashed and people really start to feel symptomatic during this point and this is when things like chronic fatigue syndrome autoimmune conditions can start to develop and your body is just trying to protect you from long-term chronic stress so that's how i see things happening with my clients everyone's got a little bit of a different um, pattern they see or a way of explaining it and testing is important because symptoms like fatigue and anxiety for example could be due to high or low cortisol either and there's a big difference between salivary testing versus urine testing and blood work i don't really like checking cortisol in blood at all i have clients who come and they say oh my doctor tested my cortisol and it's fine i don't really like blood work and it almost always comes back normal unless you have some serious condition like addison's disease or cushing's disease but that's more of an extreme autoimmune um, version what i'm talking about is like a functional test to look at this so that's why i use the dutch test and i'll come on to that when i talk about testing and the importance of that and some other indirect tests as well so not necessarily looking at cortisol but some of the reasons why your cortisol may be out of range and you'll hear more about that with my recommendations but conditions associated with adrenal dysfunction so your adrenals are these glands that sit on top of the kidneys so add renal on top of your kidneys your renal system and they're like walnut sized glands but they do a lot in the body and without them we literally couldn't live and conditions associated i'm also going to use the term hpa axis dysregulation because that is kind of the technical term rather than adrenal fatigue or whatever but hpa stands for the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis so that's the brain to adrenal communication autoimmune conditions are really big here um whether that's hashimoto's psoriasis lupus rheumatoid arthritis these all are associated with adrenal and stress sometimes stress is a trigger there's other things that go into developing an autoimmune condition like genetics and intestinal permeability or leaky gut plus these stressors whether that's um a food stressor so eating gluten when you're sensitive to it or a stressor of a car crash a divorce um illness these are all triggers and people know that they developed or oh, i developed my thyroid issue after um, this huge stress in my life and that can be the, the triggering point for some people fatigue or feeling wired but tired so we mentioned that fatigue could come in at really any of those points everyone's a little bit different and fatigue could be associated with other things as well like a thyroid issue or a b12 or iron deficiency but classically an adrenal issue is tied in there at some point difficulty waking this could be due to low cortisol levels in the morning so cortisol should be quite high first thing to get us out of bed to get us motivated and ready to start the day it also primes our immune system at getting rid of any faulty immune cells that could lead to autoimmune um, and then throughout the day cortisol should naturally lower and that's where melatonin can be produced so they have an inverse relationship cortisol and melatonin so when cortisol's high melatonin our sleep hormone and antioxidant is very low Whereas in the evening, hopefully when melatonin is nice and high, cortisol should be at its lowest point. And then energy crashes or slumps of energy around that 3, 4 p.m. is a classic adrenal sign. So I ask all of my questions that do you experience the 3 to 4 p.m. slump. They're like, yeah, yeah, how did you know? 
And if you've ever worked in an office, this is the time where everyone's lagging a little bit. It's nearly time to go home, but you need another coffee, you need some chocolate, the cakes and biscuits start to be passed around. And this is sometimes what differentiates to me as the practitioner a thyroid issue versus an adrenal issue. Because with an adrenal issue, energy is pretty low all day. There may be some mild fluctuations up and down, but for adrenal issues, there could be points of the day when your energy is quite good, say like 10, 11 a.m. But then there's times where it just falls off a cliff. Maybe when you get home from work, it may be at that 3 or 4 p.m. slump. But an adrenal issue does tend to have those fluctuations together. Brain fog, this is because cortisol, um, both when high and low, can affect brain function and just neurotransmitters and also your memory, your amygdala, so like the fear centers of your brain your limbic system becomes a little bit overactive and sensitive like you may jump at a loud noise or when the phone rings you get a little bit startled hair loss because cortisol when high it can um, cause the hair follicles to stop going through the growth stages and halts it too soon prematurely leading to hair loss and with a condition like alopecia which is a um, a more serious form of hair loss then people have had stressful events like they were in a car accident or they had surgery and then the hair started falling out it's usually at that three plus month mark after the event but i think people are aware of the stress and hair loss connection hormone imbalances can occur particularly low progesterone level and people say oh when you're stressed your body steals progesterone to make cortisol that's not really true either. That's called the pregnenolone steel, but it's actually your brain again and um, that's in control that tells your progesterone and your well your ovaries to not ovulate or not produce enough progesterone as a protective mechanism so that you don't fall pregnant. So stress does affect progesterone, but it's not in the way that we're typically um, told. It can also lead to low thyroid issues, um, androgen issues, both high and lower androgens because it's all due to that DHA a lot of the time. If you're still in that high DHA phase, then you could end up with high androgen levels and all the symptoms that go along with that, like PCOS type symptoms. But then if you're in the lower DHA phases, then you could have lower testosterone. And then symptoms like low libido, bone health issues, anxiety, um, and skin issues can come under that as well, weight loss resistance. Um, insulin resistance and blood sugar imbalances as well. Cortisol is actually a glucocorticoid. So it helps to, one of its main jobs is to regulate blood sugar. So too high cortisol can lead to your body dumping your stores of glucose from the muscle, from the liver and glycogen stores. So this is why people have issues with diabetes and insulin resistance, even when they're eating low carbohydrates, because it's the body actually producing cortisol and blood sugar on its own. But when it's too low, you can end up with blood sugar imbalances. Like your body can't regulate blood sugar anymore. So you're hungry every couple of hours. You need to wake up and eat in the middle of the night. You're just waking up um, absolutely tired and exhausted. You can't recover from exercise. And it's because you can't regulate your blood sugar correctly. Lightheadedness and dizziness upon standing and also low blood pressure can be due to a number of things. I also see this with histamine related issues, mast cell related issues but definitely stress and adrenal issues decreased sex drive and libido because the body doesn't really care about reproducing when it's stressed and it doesn't feel safe there's a potential life or death situation on hand 
and it could also be due to the low um, sex hormones or um, high estrogen can be involved. Moodiness and irritability, these people who like snap at people very quickly, have a short fuse, can be due to stress. Depression, because high cortisol can cause inflammation of the brain and affect brain function. Low cortisol can just cause you to feel drained and make you feel like you, you've lost your spark, like you're just not enjoying things anymore. You just feel like there's a cloud lingering over you all the time, something like a depression state. Muscle or bone loss, because we burn through our muscle reserves. And we can leach minerals from the bones as well when we're stressed. And you may have seen like these older, just this is like a more extreme example, but you may see like these older women who have very skinny legs, but very big round bellies. And it's because they're kind of burning through the thigh muscles and the bum for just fuel and energy because they've been through chronic long-term stress. But it could, for you, it could just be that you, you're not seeing the gains that you should at the gym. You're um, not able to lose weight, even despite a healthy diet and lifestyle or you have some issues with distribution of um, your fats, like you're gaining it more around the abdomen, you're noticing your arms and legs are a little bit pudgy, despite you going out and um, lifting weights at the gym, could be stress-driven. Skin ailments, and we all know the connection with stress and acne, like we're preparing for a job interview um, or a date, and you get a big spot on the end of your nose driven by stress the majority of the time things like rashes and hives can come under that as well eczema sleep disturbances and sleep apnea because of that effect on melatonin and that relationship between between cortisol and the sleep hormone melatonin weight gain we've spoken about that and the issue with the weight storage around the abdomen is because that's kind of the visceral fat that we hear about being negatively associated with um, inflammation and some of these chronic health issues but it's there for an evolutionary reason because back in the day if we were stressed that would have been because of a famine or we were fighting with a saber-toothed tiger or another caveman somewhere our body would have stored fat in that place because it's protecting our vital organs you think about it our vital organs are kind of in the midsection of the body so you've got your heart your pancreas your spleen your intestines so your body pads that place out a little bit more to protect you and there's more insulin receptors in that area too sweet and salty food cravings because your adrenals really burn through glucose and sodium when you're stressed and that's why people either turn to sugar or they are more of a salty person they want the um, chips they want the pasta the pizza when they're stressed everyone's a little bit different and I sometimes run HTMA, head tissue mineral analysis tests with my clients and I chronically, I constantly see chronically low levels of sodium and potassium, which to me indicates um, chronic stress and depletion. And this could have been from like a decade ago. They went through a really stressful time of over-exercising, marathon training, not eating enough, and they've just never fully recovered from that. Despite eating a healthy diet, it's hard for you to get from rock bottom to where you need to be just with diet sometimes you need to go through a proper protocol using some of these supplements therapeutically to get where you need to be then you can maintain with your healthy diet and lifestyle changes to appetite could also be due to stress some people go completely off food some people make worse decisions they don't want to be eating the healthy foods they don't want to go to the gym at that time 
or they binge eat or have uncontrollable hunger. They just can't feel satiated at all. So I'm sure everyone listening is probably related or relates to one or multiple of those. So don't worry, I'm definitely going to share with you um, my tips and solutions uh, right now. So the first one is change your mindset and perceptions around stress. And this is the most important. That's why I put it first. And there's no real situation that's inherently stressful. So if you really think about it, yes, there's things like murder and um, the loss of loved ones, but people can really interpret that differently. So it's all about the way that we view and perceive these situations in life. And one example would be public speaking. For some people, it's the worst nightmare. They'd literally rather die than go on a stage in front of 100 people. But for someone else, it's their passion. It's the the thing that they love most in life. And they thrive doing that. So it's the exact same situation. It's just the way that we approach it and perceive it that's most important. There's a particular part of the brain called the reticular activating system or the RAS. And this is the one that um, the more you focus on something, the more that your brain sees. So another example would be you just bought a new car or you're looking to buy a new car and you've got a specific model and colour in mind. And from that moment on, all you see on the road is this particular car. And before you never even notice it, you're like, oh, it's everyone now going out and getting these cars. But they've always been there. It's now that your mind is on something and you're paying more attention to it. Or if I was to tell you now not to think of a pink elephant, then all you can probably think about right now is a pink elephant. So you can do this with your mindset and your perceptions as well. So instead of looking at things that you're annoyed at or unhappy with in your life, thinking of the things that you're grateful for, particularly this situation as well with um, COVID-19, yes, it's a terrible time and people are dying, people have lost businesses, um, but are there any positives that can come out of it for you? I know for me, I have a greater appreciation for my local community, um, the local coffee shop, my access to food whenever I want it, my family being safe, my health. So try and think for yourself right now. Um, three things that you're also grateful for about this situation. And the more that you do that, the more that you attract in. So this is where the law of attraction really um, plays into things. And some people think it's a lot of rubbish, but I absolutely believe that it's true. And there's tons of resources and books on these types of things. So The Secret, Bob Proctor's work, all really amazing stuff. Um, everyone should check those out. And you can also use affirmations. These are powerful. Everyone's a little bit different in terms of what works for them. But if you come up with an affirmation just to get through um, difficult times when my health was really bad, my mantra or affirmation every day was I'm positive, I'm patient, I'm persistent, or I'm healing and improving and improving every single day. And with you telling yourself that, your brain starts to calm down. And there may be times where you have to force it a little bit because it is um, quite difficult. But after a while, your brain will re reroute and it will start to carve out some of these more positive pathways in the brain rather than these more automatic negative thoughts. And when you say come home from work, like when you do get back into the office and things, rather than saying, oh, I now have to do the dishes or I have to now do all of this housework, reframing that to I get to do that. And that, again, just tells the body that it's a choice and it's actually a good thing that you have a family to take care of, a house to clean, 
reframing those little things. And I always remember my mum reminding me if I was complaining about some schoolwork or um, now doing emails and things or traffic, she'd always remind me like, listen, you're not stuck in a trench now in World War II being shot at. It's really a first world problem at the end of the day. And I used to get really annoyed with that. I'm like, oh, shut up. Like, you don't know. You don't know what I'm going through, but it really does put things into perspective. And some of the things that we complain about these days really are a first world problem. So my holiday being cancelled due to the coronavirus issue. Yes, it's frustrating, but at least my health is um, my health is fine at the moment. Slow internet speed, hot water supply going off for a day. It's really not the end of the world. Number two is to spend time with loved ones. This is because oxytocin, the hormone of bonding and love, that mothers get when they give birth or what we get when we connect with our female friends or animals obviously if you like animals you get this nice calming hormone that reduces cortisol and just makes us feel good overall and women tend to go towards this tender befriend mode so they spend time with women and that really helps their stress men do tend to go more towards that fight and flight mode um, just evolutionarily that's how it works Make sure that you're spending your time with actual friends who you like and who support you rather than these frenemies or negative Nancy's energy vampires in your life. And calling them up is great. I know we're having to do that at the moment with Zoom and Skype and FaceTime, but in person really is the most important. And even I think of myself as an introvert, and I've had clients say this as well, during this time like oh I was fine being socially isolated I like spending time on my own but when it actually happens and you don't have a choice and you have to stay at home and limit your um, social connection you start to notice and realize that humans do need social and physical interaction even if you're the most introverted person in the world your genes do require this human and physical connection because for humans, social isolation and loneliness is actually more harmful to your health than smoking a pack of cigarettes per day. And communities like the Blue Zones, who are some of the longest lived people on the planet in Sardinia, Okinawa, Loma Linda, they eat healthy, exercise, don't smoke or drink. Um, yes, but a lot of the emphasis is on social connection and community. And I think that's why they do have this longevity associated with them. This is another thing that we can be grateful for when we come out of this social isolation is the fact that we can spend time with our family. Some of us are more connected than ever to our loved ones. We're calling them more often. We're, we're actually talking to them rather than um, just texting here and there and seeing them once a year at Christmas. So this is maybe another positive that can come away from the whole situation. Number three are breathing exercises and mindful moments. So my clients have probably heard me talk about mindful moments quite a lot, but I'd rather someone do little breaks throughout the day for five minutes than do a hour's meditation session in the morning, be completely zen, but then spend the rest of the day stressed out their mind, running about like a headless chicken. And this doesn't seem like a lot if you just come out of a stressful meeting and do five long, slow, deep breaths. Um, but it really does make a huge difference. And the breathing in particular, it really tells the body that everything's fine, that you're safe, that there's no actual life-threatening danger at play. Because if there was an actual lion in the room, for example, 
you would never be able to breathe long, slow, deep breaths. It would be physiologically impossible. So you're tricking your body a little bit into calming down, doing those long, slow, deep breaths, doing an affirmation in your head, and I can guarantee you'll feel much better. There's different types of breathing techniques, like box breathing, where you say breathe in for five, hold for five, exhale for five. So you do the same amount at each breath. There's four, seven, eight breathing four seven eight breathing where you inhale for four hold for seven exhale for eight yogic breathing so you really get the diaphragm involved and the um, abdominal breathing alternate nostril breathing where you hold one side of the nostril and inhale through that side hold at the top and then exhale through the other nostril and there's tons of videos and tutorials on youtube that you can check out there's also apps available and i do recommend using technology at the start if you struggle with meditation or breathing like if you're in an anxiety attack it can be hard to help regulate your breathing so it's like breathing into a paper bag you need something there to support you but if you can just do it on your own after a while and just type in breathing apps on the apple play store or um wherever you get your apps from and you should find some available we hardly ever breathe deep into the bottom of our lungs as well. This also helps gut health due to the support supporting due to supporting the vagus nerve and also the lymphatic system because with our lymph, which is our kind of removal, waste, service, garbagement of the body, and it helps to support our immune system as well. And our deep breathing actually pulls on the diaphragm and pulls and moves around some of this lymphatic fluid. Because unlike the circulatory system, our lymphatic fluid doesn't have a pump. So the blood and the vessels have the heart. Our lymph requires physical movement. So it requires you to do the deep breathing or the dry body brushing, the walking. Otherwise, you get some stagnation, some buildup and things like edema in the system. Step four, this gets its own its own place because meditation and visualization is really important. I must admit, I did fall out of the habit of meditating um, recently because last year I did, I think I did 100 days straight of meditation each morning and I really noticed a huge difference. And my personal favourite way to meditate is through the Insight Timer app and there's someone on there called Sarah Blondin. I really love her stuff and she has a podcast as well. I think it's called Live Awake. And I've, I just really find her stuff to be useful because I can't just sit on my own and do the meditation on my own I need some assistance otherwise my otherwise my mind starts to wonder a little bit I do have a bit of a monkey mind and then after those the all less than 15 minutes what she um her playlist but after 10-15 minutes of guided meditation I then follow it with just five minutes of my own stuff for the first minute I do just some breathing and gratitude then I'd envision my day going how I how I want it to so things I want to achieve um, visualizing myself having a great day and um, my future career and just being successful helping a lot of people even things like future relationships my health my family so having children I envision all of that and I remember a few years ago my daily focus was on my skin so I just thought about having clear skin that was my number one goal so I think that helped like my skin's clear now I think it was combined obviously with the gut work that I did and my diet you can't just think your way into getting clear skin necessarily so, but the combination of these two really works and so I'm manifesting some more stuff into my life 
Number five is getting adequate sleep and rest. During the day, this is when we are breaking down, um, not mentally, well, I hope not mentally anyway, but physically, things are breaking down. Um, we're eating, we're digesting, digesting, there's a ton of things going on. Our brain is constantly doing and thinking. But during the night is when our body goes into building and repair mode. So our skin cells turn over, our brain shrinks a little bit so it can get cleaned and scrubbed from the glymphatic fluid. Your liver filters everything, your brain processes memories and emotions and thoughts are consolidated for the day. So if you're not sleeping right, you're waking up every couple of hours, you're only going to bed at midnight, therefore you're missing a, a couple of hours of deep sleep. Deep sleep really happens between 10pm and 2am for most people. That's where a lot of things happen. So if you're only going to bed after that, then you're missing out a huge chunk of um, benefit. Even if you get eight hours from 12 midnight to eight in the morning, then it's not going to be as beneficial um, than you going to bed at 10pm, waking up at 6am. You could be a night owl kind of genetically. Some people say that. I don't really believe um, that's the case for a lot of people. They, they're just so stuck in this routine since childhood that they tell themselves that they're night owls. But once they start to get adequate sun, sun um, exposure and block blue light in the evening, have a good evening routine and wind down, then they're like, oh, I'm actually tired at 10 p.m. now and can go to sleep. And if you think about it, most people, uh, if they go camping, as soon as the sun sets, there's not really much you can do um, for the next few hours. So most people find that their circadian rhythm actually um, gets back into a normal rhythm when they go camping and they don't have all of this technology that we do in the modern world. And I recommend for that reason going to bed around 10 p.m., having a good evening routine, turning off the EMF um, exposure, so keeping your phone in another room if possible, switching off your Wi-Fi box, not sleeping with your phone under your pillow. Please don't do that. It's like one of the worst things ever and I cringe every time I see that happening. Um, I track my sleep using an aura ring. Or I know people have things on their um, Apple watches or their phones to track, but I like the aura ring because it doesn't emit a lot of Bluetooth and EMF. You can do more restorative exercise as well on the rest side of things rather than pushing yourself really intensely. Um, when your adrenals are a little bit fried, you do need to tie back, um, pull back on the exercise a little bit because sometimes over-exercising can actually put you into this adrenal imbalance. So you can do things like just walking. I love that. It's great for everyone. Um, it helps to regulate cortisol either way. So if you're really deficient in cortisol, it will gently help to stimulate that. Whereas if you're way off the charts too high, it will just help to bring you back into a normal range. So it's like an adaptogen type of exercise. I like to think of it that way. You can do yoga, just stretching, bike riding outside, um, any of those things that don't push your body too hard just while you're healing. And then when you're better, you should be able to push it a little bit harder. Even combining that with your cycle, once things get, things get back on track, you can push it a little bit harder during a certain phase of your cycle, but then leading up to your period and whilst you're on your period, dialing it back. So more of a cycle syncing um, thing going on there. Number six is to balance or regulate blood sugar levels. This is because spikes and crashes of your blood sugar cause inflammation and a stress response. So when your blood sugar gets too high, what goes up must come down. So it spikes too high, your body pumps out a ton of insulin, 
which immediately brings your blood sugar crashing down. And then when it crashes too low, your body needs to produce cortisol to help regulate that blood sugar and bring it back into a normal range. So I was saying before that cortisol is a glucocorticoid. This is what it's doing. It helps to bring back your blood sugar from being too low so that you don't pass out and so that all of the natural functions can work. Your body will do everything it can to keep your blood sugar as stable as possible. You may have noticed that if you get sweaty, anxious, shaky, irritable, if you've gone a few hours without food, the shorter that time is, the more likely you have adrenal issues. So if you can only go two, three hours without eating, then you likely have some major adrenal issues. Whereas those with strong adrenals could literally go for a full day without food and feel fine. I don't want you to do that on a regular basis, but that's just another thing that humans would have gone through. And that's a sign of good adrenal and blood sugar regulation. These signs are also signs of a stress response. So my key to stabilizing blood sugar is to consume protein, fat and fiber at every meal, snack if needed, that you consume. So protein would be like your animal, animal products, eggs, fish, meat, those types of things. Fat would be avocados, olive oil, coconut products, butter, ghee. Fiber would be your veggies, so your non-starchy veggies, cruciferous veg. Um, fibers and also your starches will come into that everyone's a little bit different in terms of serving size for starches but sweet potatoes um quinoa squash root vegetables fruits those types of things trying to balance your meals on your plates every time you eat so that keeps things nice and stable removing processed foods because these can also affect the adrenals they're not very nutrient dense a lot of the time some of them are packed with additives and um, sugars and inflammatory oils, which can all affect the adrenals. And removing foods that you're sensitive to as well. So if you have a gluten sensitivity or you're eat and you're eating gluten every day, then that's going to be stressed to the body. For me, it was um, histamine. So removing histamine-rich foods really calmed my adrenals and my nervous system down. Histamine is a neurotransmitter as well, so it can cause anxiety and kind of obsessive thoughts when it's too high and these are some of the healthiest foods ever so don't necessarily look into this straight away but I have two blog posts on my website on histamine sensitivity and for me I would notice an immediate stress response so I would get like palpitations racing heart and then later on my blood pressure would be affected so when all of these things were um, some of the symptoms that I mentioned earlier very low carb or ketogenic diets may not be the way to go when your adrenals are really affected only if your high cortisol and adrenal issues are driven by chronic inflammation, chronic infections that do respond well to a low-carb diet, so like a mold illness, Lyme disease in some cases, they may benefit from a short-term ketogenic or low-carb diet. But just the average person, um, if you've done some testing or display some of those symptoms, your body probably needs carbohydrates because you need that glucose and the glycogen to actually um, support your adrenals and thyroid health. The female body in particular is very sensitive to signals of stress and famine and going too low carbohydrate can tell your body, okay, the situation, the environment isn't safe. I don't have enough fuel on board. Let's shut down reproduction, progesterone levels to stop you getting pregnant or you can shut down your cycle completely in extreme cases. Number seven is to add in key nutrients and herbs to help with adrenal function. Stress really burns through some of your nutrient stores very quickly because it's like trying to drive your car at 100 miles per hour all the time. It's going to need a lot of fuel. 
so people who restrict food and nutrients when they're very stressed it doesn't make sense at all you actually need more fuel to get you through and to keep your body functioning optimally you also need building blocks for your adrenals to actually be able to produce cortisol and some of the other hormones that it does and your body runs off nutrients and enzymes and there's tons of vitamins and minerals that act as cofactors to some of these enzymes as well particularly amino acids from protein cholesterol from healthy fats b vitamins in particular it would be b5 b6 vitamin c omega-3 fats and foods that contain some of these would be organ meats like chicken livers and hearts and kidneys um, and in certain practices they believe that like supports like so it's called herring's law of cure so if you eat organ meats and adrenal glands then you can actually support your adrenals um, whereas if you have a liver issue clogged up liver sluggish detoxification eating liver from a chicken or cow for example will help with yours as well or you can take glandulars if that's not available to you in food form seafood is another great one oily fish avocado coconut products and teas herbal teas would be things like chamomile green tea if you tolerate caffeine some people need to back down off caffeine a lot for a little while when the stress is high licorice could be a great one because that helps cortisol to stay in the body a little bit longer so i would avoid that away from the evening late afternoons and then tulsi is my favorite one tulsi is an adaptogenic herb so it's been used in ayurvedic medicine for thousands of years and it helps to balance your cortisol whatever end of the spectrum it's on so if you're really exhausted and have low cortisol it helps to bring you back up to normal and if you have very high cortisol levels and you're anxious and stressed and can't sleep it's caffeine free and it will gently bring you back down to normal without being sedating or being too stimulating on the other end so adaptogenic herbs um, would also include things like ashwagandha rhodiola ginseng maca powder these are great to go in with when you're not really sure what's going on so say you can't pay or access some of these functional lab tests that i'm going to cover you feel some of these symptoms but you're not sure if you're too high or too low maybe it flips throughout the day then going in with adaptogens um, would be a safe call but obviously check with your healthcare practitioner just to make sure it's not going to contraindicate with anything else that you're dealing with or anything that you're taking step eight is to get outside if you're in social um if you're in quarantine right now obviously just follow the rules but even if you are if you've got an outside space a balcony a garden try and get outside if possible to get some sunlight in your eyes this is because circadian rhythm and our cortisol are intimately connected as i said earlier first thing in the morning and throughout the day cortisol should be high not so high that you have stress and anxiety and um, health problems because of that but it should be high enough to get you out of bed and get through your day and then as the day goes on cortisol starts to lower and it goes in pattern with the sun as well so when the sun rises cortisol rises and when the sun sets um, the moon rises and the moon and melatonin go together as well so there's some nice diagrams online that you can look at and going outside multiple times for little mind you can do these mindful moments outside as well just when you get up from working on your laptop for a while doing emails just go and brew herbal tea go to the bathroom go and stand outside do some deep breathing and get some natural sunlight in your eyes and this will also tell your body what time of day it is because if you're just stuck inside all day with the same amount of blue light from the room lighting 
your blue light from your device at the same kind of temperature or warmth all day long, then your body actually doesn't really know what time of day it is. And this can confuse it. It doesn't know which hormones need to be activated, what needs to be turned on, turned off, what meal's going to come next. It gets a little bit confused. So going outside, it tells your body, right, it's 4 p.m. now. Um, we're coming up to dinner. We're com coming up to the end of the work day. Let's start to turn down cortisol a little bit so that melatonin can be produced. And we've just lost touch with that and just nature overall. Then things like grounding or earthing, getting your feet in the, on the ground, in the grass, on the sand at the beach, produces and provides your body with negative ions. This is part of the reason why we feel instant stress relief when we get onto the beach, take our shoes off and put our feet in the sand and paddle in the ocean. Yes, it's in part due to the fact that we're away from work, we're in a different country, we're relaxed, but it's also due to the negative ions that the earth provides. And Japanese scientists have also shown benefits to something called Shinrin-yoku or forest bathing in studies, helping people reduce anxiety, um, high cortisol levels, just improving general well-being and mood and mental health. So when we get allowed to get back into nature and the local parks again, please really do try and take advantage because it's so important. And now that the weather, especially in the UK, is becoming nicer again, we're heading into spring and summer, we should really take advantage of this because our genes expect us to be in nature. Number nine, so we're coming to the end now. Um, number nine is to do more of what you love to support your adrenals and reduce stress. This is a little bit different for everyone. And I love the analogy or the um, little story that one of my old lecturers, Alexandro Ferretti, used to tell us when we were training at college. But he's very into data and he loves um, tracking his HRV, heart rate variability, blood glucose. Um, he's a bit of a biohacker. But he was talking about how he um, give all of his clients like a heart rate variability monitor, which is basically uh, showing how stressed your body is. And the higher the number, the better. So he had this client who was always stressed. He was a business owner, a really stressed out guy. And all the time his heart rate was really low and in the red zone, so the bad, the bad zone. And then one day, one afternoon, um, Alex was checking his data and then saw that this guy's level was really good and he was in the green zone for once. And when he asked him, like, what were you doing? Why was your HRV so good at this point? He was like, oh, I don't really want to say it's a little bit weird. And Alex was like, oh, probably not. I don't want to know. But um, it turned out that he was actually washing his car and that doesn't seem like something that would relieve my stress at all. It's one of the most annoying jobs that I'd have to do. But for him, like he loved his car. It was his baby. It was his um, hobby. And just doing that relieves stress more than something like meditation. Because if I was to tell you to go and meditate for an hour every day and you hated meditation, it would actually make you more stressed. So you need to find something that you love, whether that's dancing, a ceramics class, painting, singing reading a fiction book, writing poems, colouring, anything like that. Ideally, if it doesn't avoid, involve technology, that would be great because we're just so bombarded by it. And we don't do anything to play anymore. We're just always glued to our phones with it. You can do it without, that would be great. But even if you're doing like an app of meditation, that would be, um, that would be something that's beneficial to your health at least. And if you aren't taking at least 10 minutes every day for yourself, then you really need to. And mum's listening and probably talking to you more than anyone because you can't pour from an empty cup. 
you need to put your oxygen mask on before you help others. All those um, regular cliches we hear, but it's absolutely true. Step 10, so last but not least, is to figure out why you have adrenal issues in the first place. So I see a lot of practitioners even doing something like a Dutch test and saying, oh, you've got low cortisol, let's give you an adrenal um, glandular. Let's give you licorice to boost you up. Or if you've got high cortisol, let's give you phosphatidylcholine and um, some calming herbs to bring you back down. And that will help to maybe relieve symptoms, but it's not actually telling you why the person has adrenal issues in the first place. So rather than just having a conventional medicine approach where we just give a pill for a symptom, pill for an ill, we need to look deeper and figure out what's actually going on. Yes, mental and emotional stress is a big factor. So worrying and finances and jobs, relationships, all of that, that's key and something that we definitely need to work on and you should look into um, as a driver of your adrenal issues. But in the modern world, there's all of these other stresses as well, like physical stresses of overtraining, overexercising, not exercising at all having a bad posture or needing some chiropractic adjustments, having an injury that's never fully healed. These would be physical. Uh, infections can be stressors. So you could have a chronic H. pylori infection, SIBO, yeast, parasites, Lyme, co-infections, mold. And you could be eating the best diet in the world, living on a private island with no stress, no job, but still be chronically stressed internally because of some of these things environments again mold illness um, air pollution heavy metals vocs from off gassing of new furniture car smell that new car smell that's another stress to the system some of these obviously we can't avoid completely but if we can avoid the things that we do have control over and then change our perception over the things that we don't make our body more resilient so provide it with the building blocks the rest the nutrient-dense foods that it needs to function optimally then we can get away with some of these exposures to air pollution because there's only so much we can do to avoid our exposure of that. And you may need to work with a practitioner um, to figure all of this out because you're probably very overwhelmed, like, where do I start? Just work through one at a time. And it's usually not just one thing. So I always talk about the root cause of health issues, but there's not usually just one thing. There's always a mul multitude of different factors going on. And you should also have someone look into your timeline or you can even do this yourself like start at birth even before your birth did your mum have any stresses or traumas while she was pregnant are there any um traumas in your family history that haven't been fully resolved because they can pass down generationally as well and also combining that with your current symptoms and some lab work as well that would be the ideal situation the timeline the current symptoms and the lab work all combined. So testing, I mentioned the Dutch test earlier. Um, this is a great test, but again, it doesn't tell us why your cortisol is out of range or why you have high DHA. So I usually don't start here with my clients unless they really are ready. They've been doing a lot of work and they just have the budget to test whatever. But I sometimes prioritise and start with something like a herd tissue mineral analysis first because this would actually give us some indication as to why things are out of range in the first place and this is a hair sample that tells us about the minerals and um, metals in the body and also indicates it's not a diagnosis for things like thyroid issues blood sugar issues and also chronic stress there's a couple of ratios on there 
um, like the sodium to, sodium to potassium ratio, magnesium to sodium ratio, both indicate adrenal and stress issues. And when the sodium to potassium ratio, ratio actually drops below a one, then to me that indicates chronic mental and emotional stress, even things like trauma and limiting beliefs as well. Some clients really, um, when I mention this to them, they really understand and they have something in mind that could be affecting them. They've known all along, but that just gives them the motivation to look deeper into that. Whereas some clients, I let them know this information and they just don't have any idea because they think of trauma like rape and abuse and neglect, but it could just be something like bullying when they were a child, the parents divorcing, moving around a lot, feeling like they're not living up to expectations or feeling left behind with the social circle. It could be little things like that, but those worries and limiting beliefs could be affecting their health ongoing. Another test would be something like a GI map to investigate those gut infections that I was talking about are you actually absorbing your nutrients and your minerals and cofactors from your diet and the supplements that you're taking? Maybe not. There could be chronic inflammation in the gut. So that test would tell us about that as well. And then environmental wise, um, mycotoxin tests to look, this is definitely on my radar at the moment. And I think it's a huge problem because it's something that I'm dealing with personally. And I'll be releasing a couple more episodes over the next few months on mold. So I'm listening out for more information on that if you're interested or if you have these chronic health issues and you can't seem to get the bottom of it to the bottom of it it could be this problem that i had and then environmental there's a panel for um, enviral tox from great plans lab as well the, the tests that do the mycotoxin urine panel too and you can get them together this would look at benzenes and pollution and bpa in your environment that you could be being exposed to because of your work or your drinking water these would be more of like a root cause level of chronic stress. And this isn't to say that you need to start here with some of these tests. You can absolutely get started with the diet thing, the sleep, the stress management. A lot of people will improve at that point. But if you've been doing a lot of these things, you're quote, doing all the right things and still are symptomatic, then it could be that you need to look into some of these testing. And they can be a little bit pricey, but they're actually worth the money in the long run because they tell you what's going on. They can give you some data to work with and instead of guessing it's best to test and it will actually save you stress money and time in the in the long run so thank you so much for listening i hope you've got something out of this i um, hope everyone's staying well and safe um, in this current environment and next week i'm joined by nicole jardim also known as the period girl to talk all about how to fix your period problems naturally so i'll see you then Thank you for listening to another episode of the Hormones in Harmony podcast. If you like this episode, please leave me a rating and review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances. As a massive thank you gift, I'll send you a free guide, Six Steps to Hormonal Harmony. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review, then email it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download this free guide. If you haven't already, check out my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at vivanaturalhealth for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30-minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next step to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode.